Let's jump in to understanding your assignment this morning. Amen? We're in the series. Now, so let me prep you. If you're new here, we believe in talking back. No, not like talking back like, like ugly, but like talking back like if that's good, say it's good. Or if you don't talk in public, just nod your head. You know, that's something. But let's engage this morning. And so we're in a, service, uh, a series we're entitled Understanding Your Assignment. Well, week one, we looked at Jesus' parable in Luke 19 that, that the kingdom of God, people are expecting it to come immediately. And so Jesus told this parable that, that while we're on the earth, we're not in a waiting room getting ready to be snatched out, but we're in a training room that God is doing something in us and preparing us to do something while we're here that lasts for eternity. So that was a part of that. And then we're not in a waiting room, we're in a boardroom. We're taking the investment that God's put in us in Christ, seeing what he's done for us on the cross and rising from the dead, and then working that out into the earth. And then week two, we looked at that we're in this in-between stage, we're in a race, that someone passed us the baton of the gospel, right? They handed it to us, it changed our lives, and we're running a race. I can't run your race. But you have a race to run, and it's significant for God and for the world. And God wants you to be to run your race for the glory of God. So you've been handed that baton, and you're running a race. And then last week, we looked at that we're not going to be on this side of heaven forever. That, that your time will come to an end, as much as we like to deny that, right? I was a college student once. That didn't even come into my mind. I'll be here forever, baby. I'm invincible. And which... You could see by the decisions I made that that was what I thought. But now I realize, you know, I'm halfway there, baby. And so I'm going to be passing the baton. And so we looked last week about the next generation. How are we looking and preparing the next generation to carry the kingdom of God in the earth further than we carried it? Amen? Yeah, amen. All right. Good. And so this morning... <clears throat> um, let me just say, why are we doing this series? You might be asking yourself, why are we doing this series? Because we are easily distracted. And a couple times a year, we'll just kind of refocus and reorient. And I don't know if that's you. Like, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room and you're like, why am I in this room? Or have you ever been driving your car down the road and you're like, where am I going? Now, some of us have ADD. Some of us have digitally induced ADD. And some of us are just absent-minded. I mean, I, a couple times a week, I'll look at Michelle, and I'm like, Michelle, why am I in the bathroom with a cheese grater? <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be in this bathroom. I don't think it's to grate cheese. But we just wonder. And then if that can happen in a moment, right, then it can happen over seasons of our lives. Like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing these things? And so we're trying to reorient. What's our assignment? Help us to refocus our hearts and minds on what that is. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, I'm the only one that wanders in the bathroom with a cheese grater. There's a couple of us. Amen. I don't know why, brother. You know, they might have. Back in the spirit. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Whoo. We're going to look at a, a last. The last recorded assignment Jesus gave the church in Matthew 28. Pretty familiar passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning, hear from you, and partner with you in this command to make disciples. Now, if I was going to interview 100 church leaders from 100 different churches, <clears throat> and I asked them, is discipleship and disciple-making important? I would say 95%, maybe to 100% would say yes. And yet, if we look at the statistics, and we look at how we're doing, we're not doing well at that. We're busy with ministry, but we're not making disciples. Okay? And so I was watching, I'm kind of a documentary junkie from time to time. And I was watching this documentary about a college football player who was a, an amazing um, athlete and he was traveling through the ranks. And then his senior year, he, his grandmother had passed away. And then the same day, his girlfriend passed away. And so he dedicated his senior year to his, his grandmother and his girlfriend who had passed away. And he had a phenomenal year. The story caught fire. It probably elevated him in the eyes of the people. He makes it to the, the finalist as a, as a Heisman Trophy winner, which is the MVP of college football. Uh, and he, he gets there. Well, there was only one problem with all of this, is that his girlfriend did not exist. He had been, he was like the first kind of popular person that got catfished. And so he was I mean, dealing with this, right? And it reminded me, it was an elaborate scheme. He was tricked. He wasn't in on it. And they kind of had to do some investigative journalism. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do some investigative journalism into this passage to make sure. And here's why. Because I believe many of us in the church, we have this long-distance relationship with Jesus through social media, through uh, podcasts, things. But when it comes right down to it, we're not being discipled by Jesus. We're not disciples of Jesus. Really, the Jesus that we're following doesn't exist. And it's tragic. I mean, this radically shaped this man's life for years, probably ruined his NFL career in some ways. Now, why do I say that? Because I don't want us to wake up and realize the, the God we're serving and what Jesus is asking us, our assignment, we've missed. Amen? So, now, <clears throat> to kind of carry this point further, uh, if I'm going to ask us certain organizations what they produce, we typically know. So if I was going to say, hey, the Ford Motor Company, we'd say they produce cars and trucks, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Just making sure. I thought that's what they produced, cars and trucks. If I was going to say Chipotle, we'd say they produce kind of cheap Mexican food, and strange policies on ordering at the thing. If y'all have ever been there, you know, you're like, can I have some chips? We don't have any chips. But they're right there. Well, those are online chips. I'm like, but I'm here. That's a true story. Um, can I have a quesadilla? You can only order those online. So I can literally order it right here, but you won't give it to me. No. Okay, I'm just, I can't handle this. I have to leave. But they order good food. Now, Starbucks, right, they produce coffee experience around coffee, right? Hot springs, they produce spas, right? Or hot tubs. But the church, what does the church produce? And we would maybe get 50 different answers, right? 
But, but what should it be producing? Disciples of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. Now, this, <clears throat> this is my point this morning. I'm going to say it in a di- couple different ways in context of this series. Making disciples is central to the mission of the church. Making disciples is central to the mission of the church. I'll say it another way. <clears throat> the foundation of our assignment of heaven expansion here on the earth, right? This is, this is the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus prayed. So we know we're right in line with God's will. The foundation of our assignment of heaven expansion here on the earth is to help others come to know and follow Jesus, their loving Savior and Lord, and then live out their faith in their everyday lives. Right? Just saying it in a different way. Let's say it in another way. God's plan to invade earth with heaven. Not to escape earth into heaven. God's plan to invade earth with heaven. His love, his righteousness, his justice, his goodness, his healing, his restoration, his redemption. All of those things pushed out into the earth rests on his partnership with humans who have been changed by Jesus and follow him by the power of the Spirit. So what was our point? Making disciples is central to the mission of the church. Now we can be busy and not do this and we realize while our churches are closing, the kingdom isn't expanding because we're not making disciples of Jesus. Now, this comes out in Matthew, I'm sorry, uh, John, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. This is where we get this. There is no working out of the kingdom of heaven on the earth without individuals who've been radically transformed by the God of heaven through the power of the gospel. So here's what Jesus said. I'll use Jesus' words. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see God and what he's doing unless you've been born again, unless God opens your eyes. He goes on two verses later. Truly, truly, I said to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is not a reference to baptism. You, we were all born of water. You came out of your mother. Her water broke. You were born. And then you have to be spiritually born born of water and of spirit, then you can enter into the kingdom of God. And then we are, as the Bible says, ambassadors of that kingdom. You are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal through us. I kind of would have picked a different plan. I know who I am. He's recruiting. He's like, who am I going to recruit? I would like you to recruit me, but I don't think I'm going to make the tip pass the test. And none of us do, but God chooses to use us. Amen? Yeah. And we see this in the Old Testament. And so our, our passion and our vision at this church to reach our city, to change the world by making disciples and, tra- and training leaders. It's not some kind of spooky, like, I don't have the secret plan. It's every one of us 
living out the gospel in the city, doing what Jesus has called you to do and making disciples. That's the vision to reach the world. And we'll start here since we're not all over the world. We're in Greenville and let's live that out. And that's the mission of Jesus. Now, we see this picture in the Old Testament where David is trying to get the presence of God into um, the temple. He's trying to get, not the temple, but into Jerusalem. He has been established his throne. If this sounds familiar from week one, Jesus goes off to get authority to the kingdom and he comes back. And then he says, look, push forward the kingdom. And then he looks at, uh, in David, in the Old Testament, David wants to get the Ark of the Covenant, which is the embodiment of the presence of God, into Jerusalem. And so he's going to carry, he's trying to get the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem because the presence of God is what everything's all about. Amen? And so here's David, and he creates this cart, and he puts the Ark of the Covenant on it. It's new. It's the newest technology. It's the best cart that they've ever seen, right? It's got oxen and it carries the cart, but it stumbles. And one of the the men puts his hand out and touches the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, which God had commanded, don't ever touch it. And so he he stables it with his hands. And this is what the Bible says, he dies on the spot. And And David is like, God, look what I'm trying to do for you. And you're killing my young men. He's very discouraged. And he goes back and he starts reading the scriptures again. And he says, there was a way you're supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And it wasn't on technology. It was on the shoulders of priests. There was a pole that six priests, one, three on each side, would carry the Ark of the Covenant. Why? This is a picture that God would come in the flesh. The presence of God would come on man, Jesus, right? And he wants his kingdom to be entered in by the incarnation. Right? The presence of God on Jesus who would come in, die for our sins, rise from the dead, and then transfer that to us and say, hey, I want you to push this forward. That's what we're reading. Go make disciples like I made disciples of you. So his goal is that God's presence and his purposes would rest on our shoulders and be pushed forward into, for the glory of God. Now, as an investigative journalist, we're just going to a- answer some questions about this passage so that we can better understand what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, okay? Number one, who is talking? And what is he saying about himself? Now, y'all remember Jesus, right? He's talking. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's red. He's talking. Now, remember Jesus now. Good, loving, compassionate, harmless, sweet Jesus, real baby Jesus. Here he is. What does Jesus say about himself? I'm the king of the world. I'm the king of the universe. That's what he's saying. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying about himself, I'm the king of everything you see and everything you don't see and even the things that you haven't even fathomed in the spiritual realm, I'm the king there. So Jesus is saying, and this is why C.S. Lewis made this airtight argument. If we're going to talk about Jesus, He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. He cannot be good, sweet Jesus. He's got to be one of those three. Now, he is a loving Lord, of course. He died in our place. But listen, Jesus is God. He is Lord of heaven and earth. We don't pull Jesus along with us and get him to agree with everything we want. He is God, and we submit to his authority. That's what Jesus is saying. 
So to be a disciple then is to know who Jesus is. He's the Lord. Amen? Okay, so if this is who Jesus is, now let's get down to this. Why is this? Why would God have to come in the flesh and die for us and then be Lord of the universe? Because we're broken people. All right? What is wrong with the world won't be solved simply by social reform and political action and even economic growth. And we need those things. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. In fact, if we know the gospel, we should be working the gospel out in politics. We should be working the gospel out in education, in business. We should. Okay? But the world won't be changed. That's not what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world, according to Jesus, is that you and I have broken hearts that need to be born again. We are sinful Selfish individuals, we don't just do bad things, we do good things for bad reasons. And we need Jesus to change us. Okay? So we need what's wrong with the world is not that you would give a megaphone to your broken heart, but that you would say, Jesus, I need a broken, I need a new heart. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. Okay? So this is the heart of discipleship. We need Jesus to change us. And we need then submit to this loving God and trust him. We talk about his faithfulness. What we're talking about this morning is trusting him, that we would trust God. How can we trust God? Well, a person who would die for you and suffer for you, for your benefit, is trustworthy. So we're trusting a loving Lord. Amen? So let's keep moving. Just to kind of wrap that up, Christianity then isn't a philosophy. It isn't an ideology. Christianity then is at the center of it is Jesus, God in the flesh, dying for you and I and reigning forever. Okay, that's at the center. Now, number two, what, is, what was his command to his disciples? His command was to make disciples. Okay, make disciples that was his command. His command wasn't build churches. It's complicated. I'm going to talk about that. His, his command was to make disciples. In fact, here's the promise from Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we have a promise from God that if Jesus is the center of the church, it will grow and the gates of hell, which are stationary objects, <laughs> gates are stationary, right? So the kingdom would grow, Jesus would grow, his people would grow and overcome gates that are trying to hold Jesus and his kingdom back. It would expand. So his command then is not to us to grow the church. No, he said, I'll build my church. You make disciples. If we make disciples, here's, here's my promise. If we as the followers of Jesus make disciples, I promise it's impossible for the kingdom and, and the church not to grow. It's impossible. If we do our job, God will do his. Now, as we're going to talk about, we can't make disciples without God. Really, let's talk about this. But here's the reality. Here's our command. Let's keep our eye on the ball. We are called to make disciples. Jesus will grow his church. 
Amen? Now, the church is essential. I believe the planting of churches and the, the planting of Christ-centered missional communities in our city and cities all over the world is the best way for disciples to be made. But you can plant churches and not make disciples. Amen? So we have a, this house and this church. We're passionate about making disciples. We're not doing it perfectly. God knows. But we are going to do it by the glory and grace of God. Amen? All right, number three, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner. We really don't have language for this. We don't walk around and be like, yo, he's a disciple. She's a disciple. We don't really use language like that. But in that time, that was common language. And there was a paradigm. There was an understanding, a connotation of what that meant. Okay? And what it meant today, the best word we have, and y'all heard me talk about this before, is an apprenticeship. This is what discipleship is. It's an apprenticeship. We are to make apprentices of Jesus. Okay, and we're going to dig into this more in a couple of our growth track classes. But just so you know, what I'm not talking about is like classes like we show up and we learn in school. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an apprenticeship where you follow somebody around. You're with that person. That's the first kind of litmus test of a disciple. They're with them. The second, they, they learn from them, they become like them, and they do what they're doing. So if you hang out with plumbers, you're going to learn how to plumb, right? If you hang out with electricians as an apprentice, you're going to learn how to do electrical work. And if you hang out with Jesus, you're going to do what he's doing, amen? Amen. So it's an apprenticeship. That's what we're talking about. Now, an apprenticeship is a two-sided agreement where Jesus comes and says, man, I love you. I have died for your sin. Follow me, and I'll change your life and be a part of what I'm doing forever. That's an invitation. But we have to accept the internship. We have to accept the apprenticeship. We have to say, sign me up. I want to be a part. And that's why baptism is so important. One, it shows that we are identifying with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that's why we're dunking folks, right? Get under the water, die, and then come out just like Jesus died for you. This doesn't save you. Christ saved you. When Christ went in and he came up, he saved you. Now you're saying, I want, I want some of that. And so you sign up for that by getting baptized. Yes, I agree. I'm identifying with that. And it's also saying, hey, I want to step over the line and be a part of this apprenticeship you're talking about. Okay. What Jesus doesn't say is, come, build buildings, and gather people in for an hour and a half and make sure they're happy. That's not what he said. He said, make disciples of Jesus. Now, I hope you're happy. I really do. I hope you're happy long enough to get a picture of who Jesus is. Then you'll get sad. Then you'll repent. And then you'll get way more happy. That's really what it's about. Like, oh, man, that was fun. And then eventually you're like, I need God. Well, I've done some pretty horrible things. I've messed up a lot of people's lives. God, forgive me. Boom, happiness comes again. Joy, really, joy that's more enduring. So that's why we have baptism. All right, number four, what, who was Jesus talking to? Now, this is helpful. Who was Jesus talking to? Man, he was talking to his disciples. His disciples. But we have this picture of his disciples, you know, his disciples, you know, they were awesome. 
Come see the disciples. They're amazing. Look at them walk down the street. They're good. No, these guys are a wreck, y'all. I want you to, I'm going to read. We read verse 18. And I think Rich maybe preached on verse 17 on Tuesday night. Is this right, Rich? Uh, in this passage. And this is what, this is right before, go take the world for Jesus. Make disciples of all nations, right? He's talking to like heroes. This is what he said in verse 16, 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Look at these heroes worshiping Jesus. But some doubted. You literally saw this guy die on the cross, rise from the dead, and some doubted. Have you ever had doubts before? If your hand's not up, you're lying. Because okay? if you haven't doubted, you don't really believe. You've got to have some doubt to believe. And so, okay, they're a mess. They, they saw Jesus rise from the dead. They touched him. They ate meals with him. And they doubted. Man, I don't think they're ready, Lord. Go make disciples of all nations. These were the same guys who were fighting a couple chapters earlier. I'm better than you. You know that, right? If I'm not better than you, I'm definitely better than him. <laughs> this is the disciples. Let's gather these guys up, baby. Y'all going to change the world? They're not studs, y'all. They're just like me and you. Okay? The same men, a couple chapters earlier, do you know Jesus? I never met him. Liars? Deceivers? Cowards. Oh, man, it's starting to sound like I am qualified, and so are you. Amen? So Jesus is talking to these people. Now, here's, here's a description in Acts chapter 4 of the people, not the disciples of themselves, of the, the leaders of the day about them. This is their description, Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, they weren't sharp, right? How do you perceive someone is uneducated? Probably was coming out of their mouth or what they looked like. I'm perceiving that you're uneducated. And what else? Common. That's a good word. Baby, you're common, you know? That's not, no, no in... No, no man ever said that. It was like, oh, thank you, baby. You know, like, I mean, you're common. Appreciate that. No, this is what they're saying. Uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. He was there because they recognized they'd been with Jesus. Wow. So Jesus is talking to common, uneducated people, cowards, liars, deceivers, broken individuals, and these are the ones he's using. Praise God. Amen? Now, in, back in 2000, Wells and Sanger launched an online encyclopedia called Newpedia. Has anybody ever heard of Newpedia? Nobody. Nobody's heard of Newpedia. Well, it was designed to be articles reviewed and approved on by experts. And in 2001, they launched a feeder website to Newpedia called Wikipedia which means quick. It's a Hawaiian term. Wikipedia. Now, when Newpedia pulled the plug on their enterprise in 2003, three years later, they had approved of 24 articles. <laughs> and they had 74 still in review. All right? <clears throat> By the end of Wikipedia's first year, they had 20,000 articles. And by the time Steve Merle, who wrote the book, 
Wiki Church. He wrote that book and published in 2012. But at that point, Wikipedia had published 21 million articles. How many of y'all have benefited from Wikipedia? If your hands are up, you're a liar. First thing you do, right? Now, when Wells and Sanger took the task of article writing out of the hands of the experts, bogged down in bureaucracy, put it with everyday people, we, have, we now have what we know as Wikipedia. Now, most people would say 90 plus percent, it's not perfect, is good information, right? What a picture of the church. When we take ministry out of the hands of experts and put it in the hands of everyday people, look how fast it goes. You think maybe this is the picture God had in plan disciple making. Amen. Look what God can do. Amen? Now, it's, amen. Now it's, it's ugly. It's an ugly process. And I was talking, I love this passage in Proverbs. There's this little Proverbs that says, where there is no oxen, the manger is clean. Have y'all heard of this? Okay, where there's no oxen, the manger is clean. If you've ever been in a manger, in, in a stable, where there's no animals, it's clean. It doesn't even smell that bad. It kind of looks picturesque. In fact, now we have weddings in that venue, right? <laughs> Let's get all these animals out of here. Put some lights up. Let's get married here. I just see it. Now, you bring all the animals in, and we're like, whew, there's poop everywhere. It smells. And this is what... But with the oxen comes much increase. And so when, we're, when Jesus empowers broken people, it's messy. It's messy. And that's why we say, I've been hurt by the church. And people have legitimately been severely hurt by the church. I don't want to diminish that at all. That's true. And we need to have things in place so that doesn't happen. Absolutely. But some of the hurt we call hurt is just messy life. And it would have happened at the Rotary Club, it would have happened on campus, probably did, you know. It just, because people are doing dumb things. And so here's the reality. Jesus used broken people. Now here's, here's what we have that those places don't have. We have grace and mercy, repentance and restitution and, and reconciliation. That when those things happen, you can look, that hurt and you're wrong. And you're going to like, you're right. I was wrong. Forgive me. God, restore this relationship. Boom, power. That's what the world doesn't have, right? We all got broken relationships, but can you restore those through the power of the gospel? That's restoration. That's, we have the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. Number five, who is Jesus asking his disciples to make disciples into? Like, who is Jesus asking his disciples to make into disciples? Can y'all follow me there? All right, who is he talking to? He didn't, wasn't talking about him. He said, you're the church. At this point, there's no church other than this church that Jesus is talking to at this moment. So he said, hey, make disciples of the world. They were like, yeah, Johnny's been kind of casual disciple. I'm going to make him a committed churchgoer. No, they're all there. So to make a disciple would be going outside of the spiritual community they were to meet people where they were and help them follow Jesus. How will they hear unless somebody tells them the gospel? How can they believe until they hear it? And how can they hear it unless somebody says something? So the people Jesus is asking his disciples to make into disciples of Jesus are not there. They're not in this room, y'all. They're not in this room. 
Discipleship starts outside of this room. It starts outside of this room. Number six, we are supposed to help people become apprentices of who? Not Israel. Not America. America. Not America. Jesus. We're supposed to help people come. Now, look, he said, and then every tribe, right, of all nations, ethnos, all peoples everywhere. And we get a picture of this in Revelation when John says, I saw heaven and there were people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and language. Language and culture are inextricably bound together. You can't have different, you, you can't have the same culture with different languages, it's impossible. Because language and culture create, they're, they're together. So what am I saying? I'm saying, look, there's gonna be different cultural expressions and one Jesus. So we're not all gonna celebrate the same. That's why a multi-ethnic diverse church is hard work because we don't all worship the same. And if I had my way, just an acoustic guy up here with a little twang, maybe even some steel guitar, I, I would just enter in, you know? But I know not all of you like that. And I'm not here just for me. I'm here for everybody. And so there's going to be different cultural expressions of worship, how we do family, how we do work, how we do life. And it's beautiful to Jesus. I, I didn't know that was that controversial. I hope that's good. <laughs> Jesus, all people everywhere, all nations, all languages, it's not going to look like this. It's going to look like that, that. It's going to have Jesus at the center. The gospel's at the center. The scripture governs, but it's going to look different. Amen? So make disciples of Jesus, not of your political party, not of your um, ethnic group, right? I'm not going to say, if you're, Discipling your kids in the way you were brought up, that's beautiful to God as long as it doesn't violate Scripture. But we're not pushing people into, it's going to look different. Amen? It's beautiful to God, and it's a sign and a wonder to the culture because they're like, I don't understand. Well, but we're here for Jesus, not for our thing. Amen? Now, the gospel will change culture. So there are parts of our little individual cultures that don't bring glory to Jesus, and we got to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So even in my culture, I've got to. Well, we've always done it this way, by God. Well, Jesus is like it has always been ugly for generations. You got to change. I don't, that is bad, but all that is good. Let's celebrate that. So each one of us has to bring our culture to Jesus and say, "All right." This is a process for us, right? Amen? And so we're bringing this to the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, let's celebrate what you celebrate and let's call sin what you call sin. And don't mind and then slap Jesus on it. Just because you put a bumper sticker on it doesn't mean God likes it. Number seven, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do this? Jesus made disciples by meeting people where they were, not where he wanted them to be. And you just remember, when he called the disciples, they weren't at the temple. 
They were fishing. When he met the woman at the well, he was at the well with the woman. Amen? We have to meet people where they are, not where we want them to be. When he called Matthew, he was collecting taxes for Caesar. Man. The initial engagement for people to become disciples of Jesus was not in a religious environment, but where they were every day. He did this in the context of relationship. How did Jesus do this? He called people to be a part of a community. That's why we have in Life Group Fair this so we do this every semester because we know discipleship happens in the context of relationships. It does. So we need to get around people, rub shoulders, commit to each other, and then we grow. And so when Jesus said, he didn't say, Peter, follow me, follow me on Monday. John, follow me on Tuesday. Andrew, follow me on Wednesday. He said, I want all of you to follow me together and then y'all are going to have some conflict. Amen. And then we're going to work it out. And that's why it's just amazing to me. Jesus had one-on-one ministry, and he ministered to the multitudes, but he did all of that with a small group. Do you catch that? Yeah. A small group. Number eight, what did Jesus mean by go? This is important for us. Many scholars look at this phrase, and they'll say, you could actually translate this word go to as you go. There could be a, a pretty strong case in the, the Greek or Aramaic here that he's saying, as you go, make disciples. Yeah. So basically he's saying, look, do what you're already doing, and while you're doing it, make disciples. We make disciples where we are throughout our everyday lives. Parents, that means viewing your home as a disciple-making greenhouse. Teachers and administrators looking at the kids that you minister to and serve. I'm here to serve these kids and educate whatever your job description is and make disciples. Doctors, medical workers, as you go, make disciples. Soccer moms and dads, coaches, high school students, as you're wandering to class, make disciples. You're on your sports teams, make disciples. This is as you go. Now, I remember we had a leader in this church, Dr. Mark Lesperance. He was well, a professor at East Carolina. He lived this out. And now, now there are professors at ECU. He's moved on, taking bigger jobs other places. But there are professors at ECU today who love Jesus with a vision to make disciples because he made disciples where he was. He wasn't a full-time minister. No paycheck from this house. Right? He was a professor at ECU and he made disciples where he was. We have some men who lead small groups in this house because Beth invited a UPS worker who stumbled into her garage and thought, as you go, make disciples. And then he went to his work and said, I should make disciples while I'm here. And now he, one of these guys, is now leading a small group. Let's come to small group. Get a vision of Jesus, repenting your sin. Now he's making, he's leading, helping lead a small group. There's the vision, as you go. None of them are on salary, just loving Jesus where they are. Yeah. Now, this interpretation is incomplete because as you go is not going to hit the nations because he did say, 
of the nations, right? So somebody's going to have to go. Somebody's going to have to step outside of their comfort zone. Here's the picture of Jesus. I'm in heaven. Me and the Father, we're awesome. The Spirit is like combining us. It's this beautiful Trinitarian amazement. And then I look down in the world, and they're broken. And someone had to leave heaven and go into earth and love people where they were. Now, his name was Jesus. So Jesus had to leave his comfort. He had to go. Right? Jesus, in perfection, leaves. That's why he says in Mark 11, this house will be a house of prayer for all nations. That's his heart. The ends of the earth, all ethnos, all peoples everywhere. Where are you? If you're in high school, college, you have a full-time job, start where you are, but think of stepping out of your normal comfort zone. That's a little, that's a little microcosm of go. Now, eventually that should lead us maybe to a mission trip and taking the gospel to another area or a part of our city that we haven't been before and loving people where they are. The nations of the earth. Amen? Amen. No, and last question, how are we supposed to do this? I mean, let's be honest. I can't change anybody's heart, and neither can you. I can make a disciple of a church and then never really meet Jesus. People do it all the time. We have to have God to do this. This is a partnership. And here's, here's a picture of that partnership in 1 Corinthians 3 as we close. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We're working with God. It's a partnership between us and God to see God move. We plant, we water, God makes it grow. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Here it is. Discipleship happens. Discipleship happens when people partner with God to help others follow Jesus. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. I can't give you anything. Anything inside of Blake Dameron will not change you. Might be some good advice. It might last a week or two, maybe a couple of years if I'm lucky. I might have stolen some good advice from somebody else and gave it to you. But outside of God, I've got nothing for you. He changes you. It's his good news and his gospel that radically transforms us. Amen? Amen. Now look, you might, if you're new to the Lord, I can't overemphasize. Get into the growth track. Let us come alongside of you and help you follow Jesus. Set you free. and Walk and follow him and be a part of what he's doing. If you haven't been a part, if you have been a part of that, you're like, I need a refresher, jump in, Okay? If you're like, man, I'm a season, I'm everything you said, I'm trying my best to live out right now. And I'm doing okay. Like a baseball player, I'm batting about 300. Which I fail most of the time, but you know, every once in a while I get lucky. Then my practical advice for you is, is, is create a board for yourself, an individual personal board. If you're a parent, find someone who's parenting well or parented well and learn from them. Right? How do you implement Jesus in your home? And how do you discipline your kids? And how do you um, not lose your mind? 
and, and all these things that you need help doing, ask them. If you're new in a business arena, find someone in your company who, who does w- well and has integrity and you respect them and you're like, hey man, teach me how to do my job better. Or if you're having trouble with a particular sin and you know someone's walking in freedom, you're like, hey man, how did you walk out of that? You seem to have confidence. I don't have any confidence. How did you get that? And you, so you create a board around where you are and what you need and you ask Jesus into that and say, help me become a better follower of you and what you're calling me to be. Amen? So there's this foundational thing that we all need. Jesus at the center, walking, following Jesus. We all need help with that. And then there's some nuances of things that maybe you need that someone else doesn't need that you need to reach out and get. Amen? We can't look back and say, oh, I didn't get helped. Go get some help. Amen? Let's stand to our feet as we close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of Almighty God. Lord, anything I said this morning that was not from you, I pray you would fall to the ground. But anything that was from you by the Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate in our hearts and minds. Help us follow you, King Jesus. And help us partner with you so we can help others follow Jesus. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need you, God. Don't take us to the promised land if you don't go with us. We have to have you, God. It's all about you. It's for you. It's by you. It's empowered by you, Lord. We need you, Father. If you're in here this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. If God's laying it on your heart this morning, say, Blake, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be an apprentice. Like I've said prayers, I've been at church, but I want to sign up to be an apprentice of Jesus this morning. I want to make that decision. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Raise it high so I can see it. I can pray for you. Just me and you are looking. That's it. you raised your hand this morning, you should pray this prayer. Jesus, see what you've done for me. I love you. I receive the free gift of grace and mercy. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've made a decision this morning or recently to follow Jesus and you've never made a public profession of that faith, we're going to have baptisms in a couple weeks. This month, I think it's September 18th. Thank you. We'd love for you to jump in there with us. Well, not with us, but like be a part of baptisms with us. You can sign up on the app or the website. Um, you guys, so glad for y'all to be here. Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Thank you, Lord.
All right, you guys have an amazing week, amazing Labor Day. We don't have worship night this week, but next week we have worship night. Join us then. We'll see you then. You guys have a great week. Turn around and greet someone before you go.